is up, everyone? I am back. We are back for another From the Ground Up. Finally, it's been forever. And I haven't ever played guitar for you guys, so why not start it off like that, I suppose? Anyway, <laughs> uh, Faded Raptor 2 just said, can you, can you play uh, Juice World? Come and Go by Juice World. Um, I'm sure that's a super heavy, heavily produced song, but I could probably figure it out. Maybe on piano. I know he has a lot of piano. Um, yeah, Juice World's actually pretty cool. I actually dig it. But anyway, I have, uh, I've been gone for quite a bit. But before I get into all that and all of that, what's been going on lately, and I'm trying to unplug my guitar here, don't mind me. I just got to take it out of the mix. But this podcast is sponsored by Focus Cubed Habitats. So please go check them out, focuscubedhabitats.com. They have some amazing enclosures, and now they are even adding things like rack systems. And this thing looks out of this world. This is not any rack system. This is well beyond it. So please go check out Focus Cubed Habitats. The Howdies do amazing work over there. I have a bunch of their enclosures. I will continue getting a whole bunch more of their enclosures. And uh, I can't wait to see what they do in the future because every single time I see them post on Instagram, it's something different and it's something innovative. Uh, also, go check out their YouTube channel. They just posted up a video today about how they uh, build their enclosures and everything like that. So please go check them out. Um, Ashley and Steven are great people and they're herpers just like us who just happen to have a CNC machine and do badass work. So please go support them and go check out their Facebook, Instagram, website, YouTube, all that good stuff. And uh, thank them for supporting the podcast and support them back for, uh, you know, sponsoring things like this uh, that get information out in the hobby. And they also sponsor a whole bunch of other podcasts. So their support to us, who are the content creators, is much appreciated as well. Um, so please go support them and I will continue to support them as well. And uh, <laughs> I think Justin is, uh, I don't know, I don't know if he is he's asking me to play even flow or it's just because I'm wearing this sweet flannel that uh, he thinks it's appropriate for me to play even flow. Anyway. Uh, oh, Ryan Cox said, fuck it's 1997. I guess, uh, I guess I'm throwing it back. I don't know. My hair has been getting pretty long and I'm bearded. It's kind of a seventies. Uh, I've been getting a little bit too much of a seventies look in my opinion, but uh, what the hell are we talking about? I get off track when I'm just talking about myself or by myself, whatever. So uh, thank you guys so much for being here. It's been forever. And of course, yes, free bird. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a lot of things have happened since I have seen you guys last. Um, it's been well over a month. So in the beginning of October, I had knee surgery. So what happened is I was climbing. As some of you guys may know, if you guys follow me on Instagram, I post stories of, you know, things like plants, guitar and rock climbing. I put up a Quite a few things that uh, you may not know about me elsewhere, but I put it in my Instagram story. So I am an avid rock climber and I was climbing in, uh, I think it may have been August and I had retorn my meniscus, which I had repaired previously. Um, I had gotten my meniscus um, repaired and my ACL reconstructed a few years ago. And uh, yeah, I happened to tear the meniscus again and unfortunately I needed to tear that away. So I uh, I'm a 28 year old with uh, not much of a meniscus and uh, an old man knee. So that's what's going on there. But after the surgery, everything went well. And I had to take a couple weeks off just because of that, just recovery and all that good stuff. But 
I was about to come back and I happened to get a blood clot in my leg. And so this is what's called a deep vein thrombosis. And it was in the perineal, which goes down the middle of your leg. And uh, I had a blood clot basically in my calf, deep in my calf, which is actually the second blood clot I got. The first injury I had when I, uh, when I tore my ACL, I got a blood clot as well. So what does that mean? That means that, uh, yeah, I'm what they call hemophilic or basically I'm prone to blood clots. And I need to go through a whole bunch of tests to try to figure out if it's something like a genetic mutation. Um, a thing called factor five Leiden is a mutation that may cause you to be prone to blood clots. Um, that's probably not the case. It's more of just brought on by trauma. And any time that I am basically not moving around or I have any type of traumatic injury or something, I have a good chance of getting a blood clot. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm on blood thinners now and all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I'll be on those actually for the rest of my life, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, but that means that I won't get a blood clot or anything crazy like that. So, uh, I'm glad we caught it and I, and, uh, going to specialists and all that good stuff to try to figure out what is going on. And, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much where we're at just a couple of weeks ago. And then I had, uh, I had to travel for work a little bit and then I came back and I got COVID. So that was pretty sweet. Um, I was actually really pumped when I got back from that trip. I was so ready to get back into the podcast and everything that's going on. And then I got Corona. Um, and the thing is I've been super safe about Corona. Like I haven't done any reptile shows. I haven't done any traveling since probably last February. And then I decided, hey, this is a trip that I kind of have to go on to see, uh, to kind of straighten things out and see what's going on down in Charlotte. And so I decided it was worth the risk. And guess what? Of course, the one time I went out, I got it. So <laughs> that's kind of how that goes, huh? So I've been in the, I've been in my bed with uh, COVID, just trying to survive here, super, super tired. But now I am feeling pretty good. Uh, it's been about a week and a half, almost two weeks. And I uh, finally feel pretty good. Um, yeah, and I see Austin commented down there saying, I got the Rona, dang. And I, I did see your message, man, and I forgot to get back to you. It was during my whole Rona thing. I was just, I don't know. A lot of people have messaged me or text me, and I really, really appreciate you guys reaching out. And I'm sorry if I haven't gotten back to you. First of all, there's a lot of people reaching out, which I'm super appreciative of, and it makes me feel freaking sweet. And But also at the same time, um, I was sick, sleeping, and incapacitated half the time, so I was uh, all over the place, and I may have read your stuff and accidentally not gotten back to you or meant to get back to you, and then I was like, oh, shit, it's two weeks later, and I feel like a dick if I get back to you now. Anyway, sorry, guys, but uh, I've been trying my best and been trying my best to get caught up here, but I won't have a guest today or anything. I just wanted to get you a little bit caught up on what's going on. Also, I did a few... I did a few different podcasts recently. I did a podcast with um, Rob and Jeremy of Nerd. Um, did an awesome podcast with them, as well as I did a quick video with Aquaramax Pets, Russ. And we talked a bit about snakes and bioactive and some isopods and stuff like that. And then I did Herp House Rock with the guys. Um, well, actually, it was just Ben from R&B and, um, and uh, Levinson. So that was a really, really great podcast. And it was really, really fun. And so if you guys want to go check out those and support those, and also you'll get to hear a little bit more of what I've got going on, because there is a lot going on in my uh, reptile life, I guess you could say. 
first of all, season's pretty much, uh, season's well over now. Um, I am just getting ready for adults to go down into brumation. So they haven't been eating or doing anything. I've just been cleaning them and changing their waters. And they will probably go down in brumation maybe the beginning of December because honestly, it's just not very cold here. Although it's getting down into the 30s at night and probably upper 30s. We're still getting some random days like kind of Friday. I think it's supposed to be 60 degrees. Although most days are are falling into the 50s and 60s lately. So it's about that time. But I will keep an eye on it to kind of see what's perfect as far as going down into the basement. So the basement, I crack the window and it stays pretty cool down there. And I, that's worked perfectly for brumation the last couple of years. So I'll do that again. I also got to choose who I want to go into brumation because there's some animals that are just on the cusp of being breeding size and stuff like that. So I don't brumate animals that aren't ready to breed and that is just a personal choice so i can keep some food in them and i can get them growing nice and good luck and get some extra growth on them uh you know by the time we come around to breeding size i can brumate them and they're more so ready to go uh more than they would be if they brumated every year and didn't eat for that uh for that three months or so so that's what i'm doing and uh yeah, guys, I thank you everyone with the comments and everything like that. I'm, I am also glad to be alive. Just barely made it. Also, if you if you have any questions, please do that. That will help uh, get through this. I have plenty to talk about, but it's only 10 minutes in. So uh, send some questions down there and I'll answer them. But uh, yeah, so I'm ready for brumation. Other than that, I'm just take care. Uh, if you guys have seen, I've sold quite a few animals. I'm letting go of some adults, some extra projects that were just kind of um, a little overwhelming as far as the number of animals. And I just wanted to focus a bit more on some really special projects to me. So I want to go deep on things like the honey buff project and things like the coral ghost Tessera stripe project. And that's, and the dark annery project, some really, really amazing projects that I've got going on that I've had a lot of fun producing over the years. And I want to refine those more. So I want to just focus and kind of, uh, get rid of some of them extraneous projects. And some of the projects went over to great friends like uh, like Chris at Badlands Herpticulture. And he's going to do a bunch of uh, amazing things with those animals. And I look forward to seeing what he does. So I won't uh, exactly be completely in the dark about what's going on. Uh, JBB's Reptiles asks, how are your pines doing? My Louisiana pines are doing great. So I have, my, I have um, two male adults and I have one female adult. Um, a pair is Vandy Venter line. And then the second one is an untraced lineage. Um, we think it may be coming from Vandy Venter's old cookies and cream line. Uh, we're pretty confident it is a Ruth Vanai. And uh, that one may actually be going to Jay Jacoby, who's going to be breeding him to one of his females to kind of pass on his genetics. And uh, he is an old guy. I've had him for, I think, seven years or so. So, uh, so yeah, he's pretty up there and he was an adult when I got him and he's been kind of shedding all over the place. He's never really shed in one piece. And a lot of times that is kind of uh, with older colubrids, I see that happen occasionally. So that may be, that's just one hint of his age, also kind of his body structure and stuff like that. You can tell he's kind of an old guy. So it'd be nice to pass around or pass on his genetics. And then I have, um, I have this year's babies in which I had fed one of them or raised two of them up. And then I ended up sending one of them to uh, Zach Lofman at Western Liberty University. So I've had, um, I've had him on before. He's a herpetologist over there. And he had a Louisiana pine from a different line. 
um, from, I believe Jennifer Joseph is the one who produced him. And I believe that one is Ginterline. And he had sent me that animal and I had sent him a Vanny Venter line so that we can have a uh, different genetics and different bloodlines going on. So I'm super excited about that. So I have, uh, have a few things going on with the pines and I have made a few upgrades and things. And also Zach sent me a Baron's racer, which I'm super pumped about. I know I've been telling you guys forever that I've been gonna, that I'm going to get Baron's racers. And you're probably like, what the hell happened to that? Are you actually going to do that? Well, it finally happened. And uh, I'm so happy it did um, a little tricky again in feeding so far. So I'll, I'll let you guys know how that goes going forward. Um, but I'm really, really pumped to, to work with that animal. Plus it's in my bedroom now, which I, I like because quarantine's in my bedroom. So I get to, I set up a, usually in quarantine, I wouldn't set up something naturalistic or anything like that, but I gave the animal a good look over. There's no like mites or anything like that. And I threw it in a bioactive with uh, a bunch of things to climb on and different leaves and different things for it to just do its natural behavior. And I've been watching it constantly and just that i've been loving that experience and uh yeah so quarantine bioactive that's not what i would usually do but for this animal i was just like yeah that's cool and it probably won't ever go like into my main room it will probably be in a different part maybe even be display um in my room forever so yeah so i'm super pumped about that um austin asked how is the woma setting in so if you guys remember a few months ago when i was when i actually had Austin on the podcast. I think that may have been one of my last podcasts before I left. He, or actually there was two after that, but he had kind of brought up the idea, Hey, I got this extra male Woma laying around. Uh, you know, I may send them to someone if they want them. And I was right there. And of course that sounded like a great idea. I've always wanted a Woma Python. I just never have pulled the trigger and I did. And uh, he's been doing great. So I actually am testing out an arid substrate with that animal. And uh, I've been trying out, it's basically topsoil with a whole bunch of other things going on in there. And so far, so good. It actually kept a little bit too much humidity in the beginning and uh, I needed it to dry out. But right now he's, uh, yeah, he's enjoying himself. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about what's going on there. And also uh, I've picked him up quite a few times and he's not, uh, he's not super reactive or anything like that, which I'm super surprised because I've seen a bunch of Woma pythons and uh, been a mixed bag of of basically their uh, food aggression or defensive. Uh, I haven't seen many defensive, much more food aggressive, but uh, he's been super, super good. It's been great. It's been great working with that animal, and I'm super excited to have a Woma python. Well, yeah, Ryan mentioned that it only took two years to get the Baroni. And it seems like whenever I go for something that's outside of my lane, like very much outside of my lane, it is... Uh, it takes me a long time to pull the trigger on that kind of stuff because it doesn't fit into what I keep right now. And I'm, you know, it's just never really on the, uh, on the top of my mind. And then eventually it just, if it's meant to happen, it happens. And uh, it was meant to happen. So I'm, I'm super excited about it. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that's Paris who is nothing X in the chat. He said, remember when you used to talk <laughs> with Lilypad on here? Um, yeah, so if you guys don't remember, Paris and Lilypad, those were like our first our first fans who have been here, uh, who were here and we used to have so much fun with. And that was in the beginning. That was probably uh, four years ago now. I've been looking at it's been almost four to six years or four, four or five years since I started this podcast. And I think that has something to do with uh, or 
yeah, I had a bunch of health problems and things going on, but also I really am kind of jonesing to, uh, to change the format of the podcast and do something different. Cause I've been doing this same format for quite a while. And it's funny when, when I first started this podcast, um, there were a few other people doing video podcasts, um, in the reptile space. It was pretty much just the, um, the turtle podcast that was doing it. And, and now it seems like so many people are doing video podcasts, which is awesome. But I think that means that I need to kind of try to recreate what's going on or try to reinvent myself in some, some way. Cause I like to be different than everyone else. And I want to keep evolving what I'm doing. So I've been kind of going through a bunch of ideas about what I want to do with the future of this podcast, but it will probably be different than, uh, than what it's been in the past. And that's because a, I want to make it better and B, I want to make it for fu more fun for myself, more fun for the guests and just make it different. So, uh, yeah. And deadly tarantula girl is in the comments. What is up guys? Um, yeah. So I, and I love, uh, all the content that they've got going on over there. So check out, check out their podcast or not their podcast, their YouTube channel over there. Darren Watson said, do you think the upward surge in reptile sales will continue through the holidays? So the tricky thing about the holidays is that a lot of us aren't shipping during this time. Uh, once you get into December, the weather gets a little dicey as well as there's a bunch of delays. So say, I'm not sure exactly when I'll cut it off this year. I haven't been shipping out because I had COVID and stuff like that. So I haven't really been thinking about it too much, but I'll probably stop going out probably December 15th or something like that. So so yeah, that kind of is a hamper on holiday sales, but I think we'll still see quite a few people um, buying animals. Maybe I'll have to hold on to them and that kind of good stuff. But uh, yeah, I I think as we get locked down again, um, sales will continue to do great. If you guys don't know, reptile sales have been kind of crazy since since COVID. It's been very, very up and down at first when it first happened. Sales went completely to the floor. And then all of a sudden they went kind of through the roof and then they kind of leveled out and then they dipped down for a little bit again. And now we're seeing things going up a little bit more. So it's kind of a crazy time to be selling reptiles and being a reptile breeder and all that good stuff is definitely hard to predict. So, I mean, we just keep on keeping on. I, I want to say that it's going to continue being great and it will continue going up and up and but who knows? I, I think it's it's really great that people are at home with nothing else to do and they're trying to seek out new hobbies, things like plants. You guys have probably seen that I've bought a whole lot of plants since uh, since COVID and stuff like that, as well as uh, things like I know guitars and stuff like that. That industry is going crazy. So all those little hobbies that you can do at home are just going wild. So I don't see that uh, that changing anytime soon. J Baby's Reptiles also mentioned, yeah, it was that $1,200 reptile stimulus. Yeah, that was a huge thing. I wish there was, a, there was another stimulus check just because like right when that stimulus hit, sales were just absolutely nuts. And uh, it was amazing. And uh, yeah, that really supports, you know, small, small businesses through this time. So if you guys, and I'm not referring to myself during this, but if you guys can, I would try to, you know, support your small local businesses around you, especially with when you're getting Christmas gifts and stuff like that. Because I know uh, even the, the retailer that I work for full time, 
you know, it's been a real struggle for us and our industry has been really up and down and all over the place. And, uh, and we're actually opening a store during all of this and then it's shutting down again. And it's like, what the hell? So, yeah, so it's been really rough on a lot of small businesses. I think I saw a, I think I saw a stat recently and it was something like 20% of all small businesses have gone out of business during this time, which is just absolutely nuts. It's an absolutely like crazy statistic. And then this is just kind of the beginning, the lockdowns, it's going to get locked down probably again, numbers keep on going up and uh, should be interesting to see how we're able to navigate all of this. But I mean, for me, it's like you always, as a business owner, you always have to adjust. You always have to change. You always have to be um, basically ready for anything to happen and kind of have an attitude in which you have to figure out in one way or another, whatever's thrown at you, you got to kind of, you got to dance in the rain, as they say. So I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to keep on doing my thing. And a big thing is, if you guys haven't seen the other podcasts, I did have an announcement I had made. So like I said before, I had to I had to travel to Charlotte. And what I was doing in Charlotte is I was actually looking for a space for a store that me and my partner will be opening. And uh, I'm super excited about it. It's going to be a reptile, amphibian, and plant specialty store. And it's going to have, you know, amazing supplies, amazing animals. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really pumped about it. It is something that I have always dreamed of doing. It is something that doesn't make much sense opening a retail store during COVID and stuff like that. But it will be mainly uh, based online. That will just kind of be our showroom and a place for people to get feeders and a nice place to build a community, build a reptile community in that area. And it'll be a place where um, if you guys are traveling any which way and you find yourself going through Charlotte, or if you want to go on a small uh, vacation or something like that, and you want to stop by, we'll probably have a big grand opening party and stuff like that. So I'm super, super pumped about that. I hope it will be a hub for all you guys to, uh, if you're ever in town, to swing by and check out some animals and just hang out. And it may even be a place where I do this podcast. And it may even be one of those things that kind of uh, refresh the podcast. And this is kind of like a next chapter in my, I, I guess I could call it a reptile career. It's kind of weird to say that because it's always been a hobby of mine. It's always been a passion of mine. And although I've been doing this for quite a bit now, you know, pretty much my whole adult life, it's hard for me to say like career because I've always had a full-time job outside of reptiles. But uh, once we get the store rolling and everything like that, I'll probably have a part-time job for a while, but eventually this will be my full-time job. Finally, it only took seven years of doing all this work. But that being said, the, the biggest push I took in my reptile career was definitely probably about four or five years ago. And that was when I started doing YouTube. I started doing this podcast. I started really going hard on Instagram and Facebook and all of that good stuff. And I worked really, really hard to get my name out there. And then I feel like the last year or two, I've really been coasting. And because life has been crazy, life's been busy. The world has been crazy. Uh, things have been going on. But now I'm really ready to kind of buckle down and get it done again. You know, podcasts, YouTube, lots of YouTube videos. I can't wait to make more YouTube videos. I'm just, uh, I'm super pumped. And it is something that I am just ready to kind of reinvent what we have going on and uh, reinvent kind of myself in my career and uh, kind of set the path for the future because this is just getting started. 
you know it's been it's been seven years overall four years four or five years of doing uh social media really heavily and uh, i'm ready for the next step and to kind of bring it to the next level and i'm excited for you guys and i'm i'm just really really happy to have a group of people who support me like uh all you guys all you guys in the comments whether it be you know just saying where the hell were you i thought you were dead um and uh glad you're back and stuff like that it means the world just for you guys to even give a shit that i was gone so i appreciate it and uh deadly tarantula girl asks what will it be called i'm not sure if i want to say what it will be called we have a num or we have a name but i, I don't want to say it because we haven't we haven't bought domains and we haven't bought um we haven't trademarked and stuff like that yet. So I, I shouldn't say it, but we do have a name <laughs> and, and it's, it's something that works. It took us forever, man, to, to do the name was probably the most stressful part so far. I mean, besides like accountants and lawyers and shit like that, like this is my first, I feel like my other businesses have been, you know, it's my hobby. It's serious, but not too serious because it's just me myself but uh bringing in a partner and doing all this stuff there's like actual you know logistical things that you need to work out so there's a lot of that in our future before we get to the fun stuff which is building out the store but the name was uh man we went through a whole bunch of things how do you how do you make something that works with reptiles amphibians and uh and plants so yeah and yes, so that means that I will be moving to North Carolina. So I am super excited. Um, I love living in Philly. I love living in PA, but it will be nice to be in Charlotte in a new place, new area, and uh, hopefully meet a whole bunch of new uh, herpers and stuff like that out there. And also have a lot of, uh, also be able to find a lot of cool herps out in the wild. Uh, Deadly Tarantula Girl asked who my partner is. And uh, I don't know if he wants to, I don't know. We, we got to figure out, I don't know. I don't know if he wants to be public about it. He is, uh, I've been trying to get him to do the media stuff, just kind of messing with him and he's not that into it. So uh, I'll let him, uh, I'll let him introduce himself eventually if he wants to. <laughs> but for now, he's just silent. He is a, uh, he is a herper. So he does have a whole bunch of uh, rare pythons and boas. He has a really, really awesome collection as well as some garter snakes and different things like that. So uh so it's super awesome. Uh, Graham Battison said moving in the right direction. And I think he means towards Arkansas. So, so yeah, I'm going to be halfway between uh, PA and, and Arkansas there. So a little bit, a little bit close. And yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, there are a, a bunch of secrets going on um, because a lot of things are honestly still up in the air and there's a lot of things that I need to get figured out as well as uh, I don't want to kind of jump the gun on telling you guys too many different uh, too many different things. Austin asks, when's the move? I'm not 100% sure, but it will probably be somewhere between Christmas and New Year's. So I'm trying to get there mid-December or early January. And uh, so, yeah, that's pretty, pretty soon. I know. And I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with the animals for brumation yet, but I'm going to figure it out. I'll probably put them down and then, uh, I'm a little bit nervous about it, but I'll figure it out. But I'm uh, I'm really excited to get down there and get to a new place and also the store store uh, there's going to be a lot of really cool animals a lot of cool enclosures a lot of cool supplies and uh, i'm going to film the whole thing and youtube the whole thing so yeah um morgan rose said nc has some great herps found a huge rat snake just chilling at my front door last week see that is what i'm excited for and 
it's November. So the fact that you found a rat snake in November is impressive. And that gives me some, uh, that gives me some hopes to find animals because honestly, I haven't had the best luck up here in the Northeast. I mean, I found, uh, with the help of Alan, I found a timber rattlesnake, but I haven't done a whole lot of herping up here. Um, so I'm excited to get to somewhere else and try to, uh, try to have my hand. And plus I need to, uh, I'm, I'm going to feel so disappointed that I haven't, you know, gone and herped the pine barrens efficiently or anything like that. I've been to the pine barrens, but I haven't really herped there and, uh, a waste of living in PA. And I'm a little ashamed about it, to be honest, but hopefully, uh, NC the sand Hills has amazing corns. So uh, I'm pumped about that. Austin. Yeah. Tell me uh, when you're going to be in NC and then we'll figure it out. But yeah, so I'm super, I'm super excited for that move. Moving all the animals is a pain. Doing all that stuff is a pain. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to get it done and kind of get the next chapter of this out. And also I've been, uh, I've been thinking about what to do in the directions of breeding. And like I said before, I'm going to refine a lot of things, but I'm also going to, uh, I have a lot of things growing up. I have things like the Lucest, the leucistic Texas rat snake, and I have a het male. I have things like the Slowinski's corn snakes. I have things like uh, that Everglades rat snake that I posted up today. I have quite a few things that are growing up on year, uh, mostly I'm on year two, so I'm excited to get those going, maybe uh, not 2021, but 2022. Uh, so that's that's kind of part of keeping a collection is you've got to you've got to kind of think about what's growing up and what's growing out, which is a lot of stuff right now for me. So that's why selling those adults isn't that big of a deal. Cause next year I'm going to have a lot of animals that are coming up that are going to actually uh, replace them. So I'm super, super pumped about that. And it's going to be completely different than what I have in the, in the past. And also, uh, J Baby's Reptiles said palmettos. Yes, I do. I do have some palmettos. I do. And I am growing up some palmettos. And I can't wait to just produce more palmettos this year. I have, I have some hets, all different types of hets growing up. But I'm also just excited to, to breed the het to the het and get some more visuals. Because I only kept one. Um, one of them I did send off to Chris. Chris Painshaw, who I mentioned earlier, has a, has a few different projects. And I had one that, that never got feeding and, and ultimately died. And then I have one that uh, fed great. And this actually the one that I picked as my holdback, it's fed great and is doing great. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. The one that never got feeding, I believe, was the slightly dome headed one. So that's um, unfortunately when you're breeding. I mean, not every tomato is going to make it to the salad bar, as Eugene Bissett says, but something like that with a dome head or something with uh you know less than desirable traits yeah they may have some other things going on with them which causes them not to feed but also do i want that baby to grow up and to pass on its genes i'm not 100 percent sure um but you know fate kind of sealed that for me and i i don't have to make any guessing there unfortunately and you know that happens especially this this time of the year, September to November, you know, you have, you still have problem feeders. And unfortunately you have animals that just never really get going. 
But what else is going on in the collection here? I got the Barons Racers. I got a whole bunch of geckos growing up. I have a whole bunch of gargoyle geckos. I have some available on the website still. And uh, I'm super, I've had a super fun time working with the gargoyle geckos. I'm really into the orange project. So that's, that's a thing that I really uh, visually strikes me is the, uh, the orange gargoyle gecko. So I know a lot of people, a lot of people like the red. So those are probably the most popular gargoyle gecko out there is particularly striped reds for me i really really love the oranges and i really really love the yellows so i'm super excited to to have this project in which i got from chris um i mentioned him a whole lot today because i i've been doing a whole lot of business whether it be trading because i mean he's into corn snakes and geckos so it makes a perfect thing uh so we have plenty of animals that we can pass back and forth between us but here's Fuego, the amazing uh, orange gargoyle gecko. So I'm super excited, and there is a counterpart to this guy right here. And uh, I'm super excited to work with that. The orange is coming all the way through his face, on his legs, on his tail, and stuff like that. I, I love, uh, I love that animal, and I can't wait. It only, it will only hopefully get better with age. So, so I'm super excited. Um, other than that, Paris said, "You guys." He said, you guys are just lucky in the United States. No reptiles really in the UK apart from grass snakes and adders. Uh, grass snakes and adders are cool. But yeah, that's that's understandable. Unfortunately, the uh, the UK isn't really known for its, uh, its reptiles. But we do have, uh, if you guys know JT from Silent Hill Reptiles, he actually got a bunch of grass snakes and that's actually one of his new projects going on because that's something that you don't see too much in the hobby here in the States at least is captive born and bred grass snakes. So he's been doing a lot of work with that species and uh, I'm excited to see what he does because I, first of all, they start off tiny and I've never really seen someone work with them, um, you know, from baby to adult and breed them and all that good stuff. So I wish him luck with that project because it's super, super cool. What else do I have growing up? I have uh, I have a whole bunch of the dark annery stuff, which I haven't really shown anyone. Um, no one really has that project. I did send one to Ashley of Focus Cubed, and I, I hope she's really enjoying that because that's an amazing baby. But I do I do have some some others in the project, quite a few that are growing up that I'm super excited about that are just reaching one year old, and then I have this year's babies as well. I've, I've held a whole lot back this year. Uh, I do have a bunch of the brains babies that are available now, which is, which is exciting. And they're looking, they're going to be more pink than him, which is, which is fun. He's not very pink. Um, that's not really what I was going for when I picked him out, but uh, his baby, since this year I actually bred him to uh, a sun glow mother and that sun glow is really coming out in the animals as far as they're actually more pink so what is sun glow actually it's supposed to be line bred to get the white out of there but it also is line bred to enhance the reds and uh, maybe there's some red factor or something in there that that makes them that are making those snows extra pink and also those amel testers is making them extra red and of course yeah there's tessera and all of that so uh yeah, that's what I have going on as far as, and then I have a bunch of other babies available as well. I have a whole bunch of buff, buff babies, Amel buffs in particular and stuff like that. So if you guys want to go check out portcitypet.com, there's a few animals available as well as substrates. 
and I should be getting more substrates up shortly, but I do have some bioactive substrates you guys can check out up there. Justice Henley said, anyone got a recommendation for a male for the only holdback I have this year, a 0.1 snow het diffuse stripe. So I'm guessing that's obviously a corn snake and um, het diffuse stripe. That's interesting. I mean, obviously all of those are going to be recessives. So you're going to want to get something that it hopefully at least has those hets. Um, I do have some snow possible het stripe stuff from the brain and some snow tessera possible het stripe stuff. But if you could find something that's, you know, anery diffuse stripe or something like that, that's cool. As long as it has uh, anery, amel, diffused or striped in it, then uh, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. You can you can get yourself a nice powerhouse male and produce some some awesome babies. My my strategy is always to go with more hets, so you get a whole bunch of different babies. So so maybe I would do a snow that's also het diffused or striped, or maybe I would do a diffused that's het for snow and stripe or something like that, just so you kind of get all different babies going on. Uh, I like to cover the gambit as far as what I have in my clutches because when you do snow to snow, everything's going to come out snow and it's uh, all those snows are super, super easy to sell. Right. For the most part, you don't want to have a clutch. That's all the same, but uh, snows you may not have a problem with, but yeah, let me know. Let me know what you end up doing. All right. So Darren says, I'm, I'm wondering if that is, yeah, I think he's referring to me. Do you plan on increasing production with the move or is it a wait and see game? So it is very much touch and go wait and see at this point. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do. I, I have a feeling that my focus is going to be very, very much on the store and what I have going on there and getting all the social media stuff. So I have a feeling that I'm going to kind of, um, put breeding on the back burner in a lot of ways. I will still be breeding animals, but it won't be something in which I'm looking to increase my production anytime soon. If anything, I'm going to lower it. So the last couple of years, I've, I've been somewhere within 150 to 200 animals, but I'm, I would really love to be down to like 50 or 60 animals. That's fine with me. Produce that many a year. That will be my main projects. So the things that I'm really, really pumped about and the things that eat well and things that will kind of that won't suck up my time because time will definitely be an be an issue at this point. I mean, that's why you're seeing when I said that the last two years, I felt like I've kind of plateaued as far as what I'm doing on social media and stuff like that. Honestly, it's because I've been producing and taking care of so many animals. The thing is that my coll collection grew a lot over that time. And the first the first two or three years, it was really more, you know, I had maybe 25 animals and I was really focused more on the social media and stuff like that. And taking care of my animals was rather easy. All of a sudden, once it got, you know, a hundred animals or something like that, then, oh shit, I need to focus on something different. I need to focus on the animals and I can't be messing around too much on, on social media. So that's kind of what happened there. And now I'm trying to kind of flip that back. But while flipping that back, I'll have a partner to take on some of the duties of animal work and I'll do some of the animal work. And I'm just ready to go kind of uh, all out on what I'm doing. So it'll kind of be long days and stuff like that. So uh, 
so yeah, I'm not really looking to to pump up the numbers as far as breeding goes, but I am looking forward to uh, getting deeper into reptiles in different ways. So Lori Torini, hey, how's it going? I don't know why I just messed up your last name, Torini. Thanks for joining. Uh, Don't be disappointed that you joined late. You only missed all the big news. You missed everything that's going on. And uh, there's a lot that's been going on for uh, for quite a while. But yeah, it's nice to be online and it's nice to be talking to you guys as well. And it's, uh, yeah, so I'm not dead, just almost, but still kicking. Um, And I'm super pumped. But other than that, I want to, I've been saying other than that a lot. It's kind of weird getting back into talking. I feel like that's why I did a lot of podcasts the last few days is because I've been kind of trying to both ramp up as far as getting the podcast out there because I knew I was going to put out more episodes, but also just kind of getting used to talking again on things like this and trying to get all my, uh, I just said, uh, trying to get all my little idiosyncrasies, I guess you would call them as far as what I'm, when I'm talking, sometimes I'll repeat things or I'll say the same thing over and over again. And it kind of drives me crazy. And I try to tease those out because I want it to sound decent when you're listening to me, because I know my voice is terrible, but at least maybe I cannot say uh, the same thing over and over again or do ums or hums or whatever, whatever. I need to drink more water. What happens when you have to talk straight? Rad House asked, you going to finally get some Bolins now that you can write them off? <laughs> well, let's not get it twisted. I've been I've been buying a whole lot of reptile stuff and writing it off recently <laughs> over the last year. Uh, so most of that has gone into like caging and different things like that and a lot of food. But uh, Bolins isn't something that I have been particularly um, tickled by. So Boland's pythons, if no one knows, it is a python from West Papua. It is often regarded as one of the most desirable pythons in captivity. And they are also, they have such an interesting habitat and interesting look. Um, It used to be in Moralia. I think now it's in Somalia with the scrub pythons. And, you know, it's just kind of a classic, a classic... uh, Python for all the Python nerds out there, because look at the iridescence that's coming off of this animal. It has, it is a predominantly black animal in which the light bounces off the iridophores and makes a beautiful rainbow of colors. And it also has some light banding. It's usually a creamy, sometimes yellow coloration. And I mean, it's a good looking Python. Is it better looking than like a jungle carpet? I don't know. Someone's going to kill me out there. <laughs> but yeah, it just it's a beautiful animal, but I don't think it's worth the few thousand dollars to get an import that it would that it would take for me to get it. And it's it's just not really in my wheelhouse. And if you guys don't know, it's something that a lot of people have worked to breed over the years and people haven't had there's been very very little luck over the years with them. There's there's a couple people in the United States that did it, you know, probably a decade or two ago. And then there's this guy, I believe his name is Frederick. He is in, he is in Europe and he has had success with, uh, with Bolin's pythons. Also, I believe um, in Costa Rica, Quetzal uh, Dwyer, I believe he had, he got Bolin's pythons um, outside, keeping them outside in Costa Rica. Um, and I know I have Justin, I have a bunch of uh, Gotta Love Carpet Pythons. I have a bunch of Morelia people out there. 
So if you guys want to let me know if I messed up any of the Bowens info, I will I will update it because it's not exactly a, not exactly my my wheelhouse, but I do hopefully know enough. And if you guys want to know more, check out uh, my podcast with Ari Flagel. Ari actually goes out to West Papua, lives with the tribes there, and goes and looks for these snakes. And he's found quite a few over the years, and he's been super successful with uh, you know just gaining more information about this very rare animal. And even though it's really rare and I'm usually into really rare things, it's just, uh, it's almost like the, it's rare, but it's also the mainstream thing that everyone wants. Uh, like Justin said, <laughs> Justin said they're overrated and I don't entirely disagree with that. It is nice that they have more size than your regular carpet python and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't exactly tickle my fancy. And of course, like Gotta Love Carpet Python said, they're not exactly easy to keep. Um, and that's, of course, true. If it, It's certainly not easy to breed, um, but they're not exactly easy to keep, which is a little bit scary when you're spending a few thousand dollars on an animal. And I don't usually, I'm not the guy who spends a few thousand dollars on an animal. There's plenty of people out there, but I don't really, uh, I don't really make investments or any crazy things about that. So... Lori also said carpets and corns are where it's at. And I agree with that. And what's funny is I believe that carpets and corns have kind of similar ways of, uh, of behaving in a way of being semi-arboreal and being a little bit attentive. When you, when you open the tub, they seem to look at you. And it seems like the carpets are more so looking for food and the corns are more inquisitive. But carpets do have an inquisitive streak as well. And when you hold them, they don't just stay still. They're always moving around. They're always hanging out. Uh, and that probably helps for Lori, who's doing a lot of different training techniques and stuff like that. So having an animal that's food aggressive or pretty uh, just attentive uh, is, is probably super helpful for her. And it's funny. Now we got Eric Burke in the, of Morelia Python Radio in the comments. He said, oh, he said Bullens. I don't know if he's he said agreed. Bullens are overrated. Ouch. So, yeah, you heard it. You heard it. That's rough. It's rough. For uh, I feel like there needs to be a Bullens guy to defend themselves here because uh, everyone's kind of raining down on them. But I am excited. What's not overrated is those diamond pythons that Eric has. So I'm super excited to see what he does with those. And it's funny because Bullens really kind of fit into this wheelhouse of things like diamond pythons and carpet pythons. Um, and I, I love diamond pythons and I love jungle carpet pythons. I love all the carpet pythons. But yeah. I would, for some reason, I would just rather have uh, a regular carpet python and spend, you know, three hundred dollars instead of uh, instead of spending thousands on thousands of dollars on a bread. Or I almost said bread like because reading the comments mm -hmm. on a bullets. <laughs> yeah, Eric said. Uh, Diamonds are so much better than bullets. And what's cool about diamonds is that you can treat them very much. Not that you can, but you have to go through a cooling period in the winter. So it, it makes them tricky, but it also makes them more interesting and just different and uh, almost like a colubrid. Almost. Very, very much almost, but not really. Uh, Carly Jones said, can't deny how beautiful diamond jungle crosses are. So, yeah, that's that's one of the I think that's now the only carpet python that I have is that diamond jungle cross. And uh, yeah, I love that animal. He's super cool looking. And uh, yeah, that used to be something that people did a lot. I feel like maybe it was because people were having less success with diamonds or they were just 
had one of each or they thought it was going to help the long-term uh, fecundity of the diamond python to cross it with the jungle that would maybe make it more uh more easy to keep because i think back in the day people were keeping them pretty much hot year round they weren't giving that that cooling cycle and that was i guess kicking their metabolism into high gear and they were dying you know at six to eight years old or something like that i think eight may have been the age in which they were dying um and it seems as though they were just kind of almost like they were living faster because they weren't being put down in the winter and therefore they were dying early. And so people were just like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to do, I don't know how to work with this. Let me just, uh, let me just breathe this to a jungle carpet. And now I have a jungle carpet that I keep just like, you know, I have a jungle diamond. That's a high percentage diamond, but uh, I just keep him like a jungle carpet and he's a 2011. So he's nine years old and no issues so far. Um, so Lori said, my diamonds are such an outgoing snake and super engaged with training, very attentive, which is awesome. And uh, obviously diamonds aren't like the cheapest species to get at the moment, but they also aren't terribly out of reach. And there's things like the, uh, I think it's called the stardust. I think, I mean, I think I'm sure Eric has a few of those um, very, very high coloration, high patterned animals. Really, really cool. Uh, diamonds are really one of the, I would pick that over a bones python. Maybe I should get a diamond python. Maybe, maybe, maybe one day. Um, what, uh, Lori, don't you have a, a rough scale python? I think I saw that recently that you picked up a rough scale python, which if people don't know, a rough scale python is a very rare species that occurs in a very small portion on an isolated island, I believe, off the coast of Australia. And uh, they thought were extinct until an expedition pretty much came up with a couple of them, I believe. And now we have them in the hobby, which is pretty crazy. And uh, it's it's one of those snakes that has a story in which, you know, you just want to go out and get the snake after you hear the story. And it is, uh, it's kind of like a bumpy, uh, bumpy bread lie. It's a red brick coloration with some, by the name, rough scales, that has some uh, cool keeled scales. And they're also like, uh, they seem to be pretty sweet as far as the, their demeanor goes. Um, but what I've seen, maybe a little bit more shy than your carpets. I wonder how Lori's doing with, uh, with training them. Oh, he said, I, I wonder if she's talking about the Ruskell. He said, she said, I cannot believe how smart he is. He is so bold too, which is super awesome. And <laughs> Ruffies are amazing. A lot of, yeah, that is, there are a lot of people working with them and a lot of, uh, you know, the people who are really into carpets and Morelia and different uh, rare pythons and stuff like that. And they don't seem like they're terribly difficult to breed. So I could see that there may be a supply of them going up in the near future and maybe price will get down to a, uh, to a point where I will actually purchase one. If you guys don't know, I'm a Colubra guy, and therefore I fit into a very narrow uh, monetary. The thing is, I'm used to spending maybe $200 for a snake. That would be a, a high-end Colubra. Uh, I can't mess with these Python prices. I can't pay uh, twelve grand or twelve hundred bucks for uh, for a diamond Python, or you know, eight thousand dollars for a Bowlands Python, or anything crazy like that. Um, Lori said the Ruffy is doing trained behaviors after only six lessons that some of my older snakes aren't doing yet. That's pretty crazy. And I wonder if there's any, 
you would think that it's a small, isolated population, so there's a lot of inbreeding and stuff like that. I don't know if that's uh, – I don't know. Use doesn't make things smarter, does it? But there's something good in the genes there. And Jeff said, you're a liasis guy. And I – that's actually not false. <laughs> and it's cool. My uh, my partner has some Maclots, which I'm super, super excited just to be in the presence of. They're super, super awesome, awesome snakes. As far as liasis goes, and let's be honest, liasis, I would say probably blackheads are probably the closest thing to a colubrid in a python and especially in an Australian python. But uh, liasis, they kind of, they don't, a lot of them don't have that big python head in particular like the water python. A little bit of a, maybe more of a colubrid style animal, which is, uh, which is right in my wheelhouse. I have a water python and I have an olive python. Uh, I actually just had my olive python out last night. I just opened up the the eight-foot enclosure that she's in. I slide the glass over and just let her come out as she will. And she comes in and she just moves around the room. And she's super, super calm and super awesome. Uh, very, very food-aggressive animals. So you don't want to like – like I would never open the glass and go into her enclosure. I just open the glass and let her come out. And I'm also not the first thing she sees. I think she's used to me now just – because her enclosure's in my room, so she's used to me going back and forth. But say when she was in the other room, if I was to open up her enclosure, you know, her head would be right there kind of waiting for me. And uh, I wouldn't want to be the first heat signature she saw, so I used to hook it. But now with the glass and everything like that, she's just so calm and so chill. And, uh, and yeah, I'm super, super happy just to see her in a giant enclosure, kind of being able to explore around and, and have fun. And it's, it's nice to have the, I have the deep heat projector that I'm using from Arcadia. And it basically, it puts out infrared A and B. And it has really changed the behavior of the animal. It's kind of incredible. The, she baths for a certain period of time. She will, you know, be active for, for a certain period of time. And she will be in her hide for a certain period of time. And honestly, she's in her hide very little. One of the only times that she seeks, you know, she seeks security is actually after she eats. So you think, you know, she's going out, she gets that meal. She's kind of slow. She, her defenses are down. And so she goes and hides out for a certain period of time. And then when she's fully digested, she comes out again. And, you know, she may be in that hide for like five days straight. And then she comes out, which I think is just, it's interesting because I think we know um, through empirical data data out there that that's what snakes do and they go and they hide and digest their meals. But I feel like in racks, I find my snakes seeking security pretty much 100% of the time and they're just kind of jammed in the corner of an enclosure. But when you put them in a, in a cage, they just seem to act completely different. And when you put them with you know infrared, it seems to be turn them into like, finally, I have a snake where it actually moves around and does the things that you would think snakes do like bass, like things that they do in the wild. So, I, and part of that is because that heat tape or say, even if you have a, a heat was ceramic heat emitter, it will, it doesn't put out that infrared and supposedly the heat doesn't actually penetrate the skin of the animal. And so you're just kind of, you're just kind of warming up the surface of the animal, but you're not really getting that deep heat that really helps them. And so it's been, 
it's been different just having the infrared on there. And I, I think that's what it is. You know, there's no way for me to know for sure, but they've definitely been been different. Um, Carly Jones asks, what does she eat? So my olive python eats usually medium rats. Uh, she could probably eat a large rat if I wanted her to. I think I think last time I gave her two medium rats. I was feeling a little a little crazy. And so, uh, yeah, so she's pushing like eight or nine feet now. I can't see her getting anything over, you know, 10 to 12 feet. Uh, that's, that's, I think, where she'll end up. She'll probably be more towards 10 feet. I think she's four years old now. And I, I would say most people say that sexual maturity is four to five years. I don't know. There's people in the chat that could give me. I'm not, I'm not really looking to breed her, so I haven't thought much about, you know, when sexual maturity is and stuff like that. But I think she's, uh, she's at four to five years. I've really grown her up very slowly. And so that kind of attributes to her not being, I'm sure I could have gotten her 14 feet by now or something if I'd fed her like crazy, but that's just not something I believe in. But if you've, if you've ever held like liasis, whether it be the water Python or the olive Python, those are the two that I, that I have. So that's the only experience I have with the liasis, but as far as, you know, keeping, but they're like one giant muscle, just having that animal hold on to you or, you know, tongue feeding, you can just feel the power behind that animal and it is wild. I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know unless if my female wasn't like completely docile and just perfect, um, having a 14 foot kind of wily version of, of her would be a lot. It'd be a lot, to, a lot to handle. Uh, Ryan asks, how often do I feed her? Is she a monthly feeder? So, I do kind of go all over the place and there is a, there's an awesome study. And I remember this cause, cause Zach was asking me about how I feed uh, my Australian pythons and there's this shine Richard shine. He's a herpetologist who's done. I think he's also done an NPR show. So go check. So go check him out on um, really a Python radio is quite a while ago, but a awesome herpetologist out of Australia. He's done like you look up, studies on Australian pythons and they just like they're all pretty much by Richard Shine and so he's done so much work and he has this feeding chart of different species of Australian python and when they found meals in them and they found obviously that they're super seasonal and I think we all know that so for me in the um I will feed them a lot more in the summer and spring and then I'll taper it down in the fall and winter and I'll taper it down to, you know, we're probably looking at once a month right now, but it may be, and that's probably a small meal, but I may be looking at two to three weeks in the summer. And, you know, sometimes I'll just feel like, Hey, I'll throw it in now. And I'm, I'm very not, uh, on schedule with it. I just kind of try to read her and what's going on and keep in mind what the time of year is. And she's definitely got a month with uh without eating she's probably gone over a month to be honest at times but also i've done uh, every two weeks at times as well so i kind of switch it up i don't try to overthink it but she's uh she's not a very big girl so I, I haven't i definitely haven't been overfeeding her um i hate to i don't want to prescribe anything to anyone because i don't prescribe anything to myself and i don't do anything consistently i just uh it's different when I, for some reason, when I have a pet animal, I treat it a little bit different than when I have breeders. Breeders, I have to hit certain marks, especially with corn snakes. So in the spring, I have to really feed heavily. You know, late summer, 
or after they lay eggs, I need to or start feeding really heavily. So I'm really attentive to that. But when it comes to my pet animals, I'm a little bit willy nilly. Um, so they, they aren't as consistent, but they're all, uh, they're all slow grown in case if I needed to breed them one day, they're ready to go. The one thing about, especially olive pythons, there's a few different ideas of, of how to breed them. I think there are people in Australia who have fed them very, very well and done very, very well breeding them. But here, I don't know anyone in the States who has those large, very large olive pythons. Like if you look at the old uh, K Brothers videos, they have some big olive pythons that they did really well breeding. And those things do not look anything like my animal. They're super big. Um, and they've had success, but people like Jeff Hardwig, which is who I got my olive python from, he swears by having large enough enclosures to where they're able, able to move around, kind of get those muscles moving and become a lean exercised animal, which is something just I believe in in general. It doesn't have to do with breeding at all. So I kind of follow that more large enclosure, things to move around, things to climb on, um, just happier, healthier animal. And that's what he thinks is his is his, um, you know, basically secret to success. But I also, I know people like uh, Owen McIntyre had great success this year with his, with his olive pythons and he keeps them. I believe, I believe they're in six foot enclosures. So without like any extra height or anything like that, um, he still has a somewhat naturalistic setup, but it's not completely like overthought or anything like that. And he did well this year. So uh, there's all different ways. And I'm sure there's someone out there who's done it in a tub. So yeah, there's all different ways to do it. Gotta love carpet pythons said small meal every three weeks for them. And I wonder if that, are you talking about an olive python or are you talking about different Morelia and stuff like that? Um, they also said, let's see, Red House said, I generally feed by body condition over a set schedule, which is exactly what I do as well. I mean, that's especially for the corn snakes breeding they can they lose and gain weight very quickly so you always got to be attentive to that and you can kind of adjust as you can it's kind of awesome um my my problem with body condition with moralia and liasis is the fact that they seem to just adjust to whoever you feed them so it's like you feed them they get longer until they get so long that they become fat. But for the most part, they'll just get longer and they won't get real fat unless you get real egregious with it. <laughs> and they won't ever really like get skinny. Like I haven't really seen that. I've seen a skinny Moralia and Liasis, but really nothing crazy. They'll just be smaller. Like they're not, they don't have like spine and stuff like that showing. They can be very small before, before, uh, before they start showing any signs in which that you should feed them more. It's kind of weird. They're super, super hardy. They're super adjustable to their feed and stuff like that. Really, really interesting. Uh, Jeff said, do you use an arboreal hide for your olives? So I've been wanting to do that, but I don't. Um, right now, I just have a hide in which she can go in, but she can also bask on top. And I have a few branches. I have giant pieces of wood on both sides. And so she can go on those, but I don't have a... Uh, don't have an arboreal hide but i wonder if she would be if she would use something like that because uh, i mean they're not arboreal animals but then again if you've ever seen those pictures of the large olive python you know on a large rock wall in a uh what do they call those are those called gorges there's just there's a special special name for the those places in australia i believe they're gorgeous but let me see let me see if i can pull up this picture
But I mean, these things and just looking through these pictures, they can take down such big meals. It's so wild. And I think that's why I usually go when I'm talking medium, large rats, those are actually pretty big meals for my animal. So I do tend to do with Marillion Lyasis, I tend to do large meals less often instead of small meals more often. But I, I suppose both would probably work. So here you go. Here's the olive python. You can see it just hanging off this cliff. What a crazy animal. Taking down uh, which what I guess is a water buffalo, the invasive water buffalo. But damn, is that olive python big. And that is also not what my olive python looks like. I think that's also a thing is which I could say all day that they should be skinny and small. But Eric and Owen saw a water python in Australia. And that thing was freaking huge. You wouldn't even think it was the same species of my animal. And it's like that. If we saw that in captivity, we'd be like, who is abusing that animal? But, uh, but yeah, it's funny. It was just naturally that big. Austin said Apodora are better. So if you guys don't know, there's a there's an Australian olive python and what people forever called a Papuan olive python, which completely different genus, completely different animal, um, Apodora papuana. Right now you'll see them more aptly called Papuan pythons or Apodora and stuff like that. Another big animal um, similar to the olive python in the way that it's patternless. Um, it does sometimes have a stripe if you hit it up in the right light but uh definitely a different animal than uh than the australian olive python they're also a bit rare as far as uh not many people have produced them in captivity or do it on a consistent basis but austin's lucky enough to have you know one of the bigger collections of them i'm sure in the u.s because there's really just not many people with them and he has some captive born and bred individuals which is really cool but as you can see like on this on this animal right here it almost has that stripe just a different shading and coloration. But yeah, uh, Austin says they're better. I don't know. I, I think they're amazing, but I, I do, I love my olive python. And I and I love the lighter gray coloration on the on the olive python. It's, am I colorblind or like, they're called olive pythons because they're supposed to be an olive coloration. For me, it's like a gray. At least mine's like a gray. Am I going crazy? I don't know. I, would, I wouldn't mind to have an albino, albino olive. So if I do ever breed olive pythons, I'll get an albino male just to have an albino because that, that gray just turns into like a pure yellow animal. That's why patternless animals are fun, especially when they uh, when you change their coloration. It's, it's almost white at some times too, so uh, you can't beat that. So Jeff said that they'll definitely use that arboreal hide. His buddy has huge adults that stay in the arboreal hide which is super awesome. So maybe that's something I will do. I will have to buy, I'll have to figure out something big enough to, to use. I'm, I want to, another thing about kind of getting my breeding numbers down is just working on different enclosures. So keep on upping, up, upping my, my husbandry game. And uh, what's up, uh, JT of Silent Hill Reptiles? I was talking about you earlier. You must've heard us. Um, but yeah, so the arboreal hides is something that I definitely want to look into. Um, it will definitely be something that I'll do for the Baron's Racer. It would be an amazing thing to do for, for a Baron's Racer. I almost want to do I – may, I may be able to just like screw some, some, coconut, some coconuts up there. I have those little coconut hides with a little hole in it for the, for the Baron's Racer, but I don't know what I'll do for the olive. But uh, 
I'm also trying to look uh, different ways to do different heat. I want to keep on using the deep heat projector. Uh, I want to, I have like a morning gecko set up, which is completely naturalistic, completely bioactive. And I've been really, really enjoying that. And I really, really love my morning gecko. It's just a little micro gecko. I started off with two and then one just disappeared. I don't know if it got out or it died. I do not know, but now I have one. They're too small to know when shit happens. It's weird. Um, so unfortunately I lost one at some point. I've had them for like three months or so. I'm not sure exactly, but I've had a lot of fun just watching that little guy. Hopefully they're parthenogenic, which if you guys don't know, that means that they give virgin birth. So you don't actually need any males. So they'll actually reproduce on their own. So hopefully that girl, she will lay eggs and I'll have more, even though I just have one. But, uh, yeah, I, I need, I need more micro geckos. I love having the habitats in which I don't really have to mess with too much. All I have to do is I need to manage the plants and stuff like that that's in there, whether I need to trim them back and water them, spray them down and all that good stuff, which I really like to do because obviously I have a whole lot of house plants here and I really want to integrate some really, really cool house plants into some really, really cool enclosures. So I want to do more of those and I want to get more micro geckos. And I've been, okay, so kind of to the point I said earlier where if I like a species that's out of my wheelhouse, it will take me years to finally pull the trigger. I've been looking at electric, uh, those electric blue day geckos, as well as those Clemeri uh, that Scott Borden has and produces. Him and Val work with such amazing animals. Those micro geckos, those Clemeri are just incredible coloration. And they are so interactive with each other and their environment. Like you see them and they'll like, they'll kind of interact with each other. They'll see you, they'll scamper away. Just a really, really um, endearing little animal, little micro gecko. And just the coloration on these things are insane. Like you can't even explain. It is such a bright blue and a bright green electric coloration. I'll show you that. Uh, electric blue. I think that's what the common name is. Yeah. The Williams eye. Ligodactylus. That's fun. But yeah, I need to stop. Uh, maybe when I move, I will I will start making the transition. And I know that we will have quite a few things in store that kind of fit into these boxes. So maybe that'll make it a little bit easier for me to take the leap in the uh, in the future. So I am super. I'm I'm just excited to get into more bioactive, more plants, more just better husbandry. To be honest, just upping the husbandry. And I think people are always kind of misconstruing the fact that I'm saying that I want to up my husbandry and kind of like I'm talking down on racks. Well, I I keep a bunch of things in racks. I would love to eventually have everything in cages with UV and all of that good stuff because I don't need to make a money breeding. Honestly, if you need to compete in the marketplace breeding animals, you need to kind of keep your expenses down. So racks do 100% come in handy as well as things like my Louisiana pine snakes. I don't know how good they would do in a big cage with all that good stuff. Um, so those I'm probably keeping that. That's an animal that stays in a burrow for most of the time. I want to try to find a way to make you know, some type of burrow, but also in a cage where they can get away with me. I don't know. I'll do that. I'll do that one day. Um, hopefully, 
hopefully one day I will just I'll have money to blow to uh, to make all these cool enclosures because because at some point when you have when you have a certain number of animals you have to take into account things like your electric bill and uh, space and stuff like that so so also cutting down allows me to to do more of that stuff and I have been doing more of that stuff especially because now I have uh, pretty much animals in every room. <laughs> So I've been uh, I've been expanding my reach of what I can of what I can have because I've been expanding where these things are in my house, which are all over, which is fine with me. So ha, huh? that's what I like. That's what I like. Reptiles in every room. I wanna. So I'm gonna check out this. And man, am I gonna mess this up? Gonatodes albogularis. Okay, let me see if I can remember that to type that in. What the hell? I already forgot it. Gonatodes. That's definitely not. I'm definitely not saying that right. Elbow. I also really like some of the other Rachidaculus. Some of the rare ones. Oh, yellow-headed geckos. So we are actually. I didn't know. I didn't know the the latin name for this this is cool though um like orange head i guess yellow with the blue and the lips there so this is an animal that we were thinking actually for an enclosure that's going in the store so we're gonna do something specific to uh south and central america and we are gonna do a big paludarium i don't know if i'm supposed to say this and you know i it's such a venture that i'm a little nervous saying it because if it doesn't happen then uh I don't know. Maybe you guys can keep me accountable. We're going to do a paludarium where we're going to have all like Amazon, Central and South America specific plants. And we're also going to have all like things like dart frogs, dart frogs, yellow headed geckos, um, paludarium with tetras and amatamata and maybe some emerald tree boas. I mean, don't, don't kind of uh, hold me to it, but that's my initial idea at least. And it sounds pretty freaking cool to me, if you ask me. Uh, JBaby said, I would love to get the enclosures that Robert Applegate had when he had his collection. So I've heard about those enclosures, but I haven't actually seen them. And I know that he kept everything cohabbed, which is interesting. Um, but I would love to see if you have pictures of those enclosures, please send it to me because I'd love to, I'd love to see what's going on. Um, Ryan, I feel like if you went big cages with the Louisiana pines, you'd have to go Applegate style with the cages. Yeah. So you could have a pseudo burrow to retreat to. Yeah. That's exactly what's in my head. Um, but I, but like I said, I haven't seen the, the apple, I haven't seen pictures of them. So if you guys want to send them to me, uh, but I had heard that he does something like that. Oh shit. Ryan said he'll fly down to set up the water feature and help pick the livestock. Please, please. I'm going to need all the help I can get as far as that goes. Um, I'm not, I'm not very knowledgeable on things like making a paludarium because I haven't done it before. And especially with things like filtration and stuff like that. And we're going to make it uh black water. So that means that you, I guess, soak leaves and then all the tannins get into the water and it's kind of a more natural, like it would look like in an Amazon river and kind of a brown coloration of the water, which is exactly where something like a Mata Mata thrives and exactly why things like neon tetras are neon is because of the environment that they're in. They're in a really low light environment, really murky water. So 
I really want to make that black water setup and make it super, super cool and look super naturalistic, almost zoo quality enclosure. So yeah, any help would be great. So Acadia said, if you like gargoyle gargo geckos, I suggest Eurodactyloides via Liardi. So I'm not sure. I'm going to need a common name on that one, but I think I know what that is. Um, there was one night where, is it is that the chameleon? What do they call it? Yes. The one with the, the bigger mouth with the little bumpy scales. I believe they call it a chameleon gecko. I believe that's what they call the common name. But I've been looking at these. Chris uh, from Badlands actually got me first interested in these. And this is something that I uh, I would totally love. Their, their scales are like very dinosaur-esque, but they're also like round and different shapes and they don't fit perfectly with each other. Like if you look at a snake, the scales are situated in such a way that they're like perfect and they, you know, perfectly fall into place and they perfectly shield the animal. These ones are kind of like willy-nilly and it almost doesn't look right. And they're a little bit bumpy. They're cool, cool, cool animals. And they have that big mouth. But yeah, I would love to work with something like this. That's something to uh, expand upon in the future. And uh, I actually haven't even kept dart frogs before. So that would be a new one for me. I've been feeding fruit flies to the, uh, to the morning gecko, but I've actually never had a dart frog. I haven't done... Uh, I haven't... I've stayed rather focused. So I know... I haven't stayed rather focused on the species that I'm... That I'm... Uh, that I work with, but I, as far as snakes go, but I stay within snakes for the most part until recently. And I mean, I kept amphibians a long time ago. It's been a very long, like since I was a kid. Um, Autofab Welding said, ETB picking off dart frogs slash lizards. Yes. See, that's why we're, we're trying to see if we can get an emerald big enough and geckos and dart frogs that are small so that they won't eat them. I, w I would never do an Amazon tree boa because that is going to, that will absolutely eat them. <laughs> it will pretty much eat anything. But, uh, but yeah, so that will be kind of the trick of seeing how we can make it work. I'm not 100% sure how that would work. But uh, yeah, we got to do more research and see what's going on. James said he hates fruit flies. I think everyone hates fruit flies, but... It's a necessary evil. And it's something that we got to keep in the store anyway. And the only thing that sucks is like, how the hell, when I'm doing putting them in the Exoterra, it's like I'm opening up the little container and I'm trying to just get it in there and get it. And no matter what I do, they just get everywhere and the fruit flies go everywhere. And yeah, they don't fly, but I still don't want them anywhere in my room. So, uh, so yeah, they're tricky. And, and most of the things that you use fruit flies for are going to be front opening. So you can't just open the top and dump them in there. It's going to be dart frogs or like my, uh, my gecko set up. It's going to be front opening. So it's, it is kind of a pain. Uh, but also like the exoterra is like silicone shut everywhere and stuff like that. So they don't get out, which is kind of nice, which is probably they probably get out of a regular, regular enclosure. But yeah, I don't, I don't mind them. 
they're they're a necessary evil. I like watching the morning gecko go out and hunt them and try to pick off every single which one. But uh, yeah. So anyway, guys, I think this has been one of the one of the longest ones that I've done by myself. But let me know if you have any questions. Otherwise, I'll probably wind it down a little bit. Uh, James said he had to grow them for genetics in college, and yeah, I know a lot of people have. Um, and that's that's the first thing I had someone over, and she was like, "Oh, I." I kept these in college, but they were actually they weren't flightless, which uh, seems pretty. I'd much rather have flightless. Um, Autofab welding. I've been pondering the same setup in my house. Going adult ETB has been my best thought too. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at as well. Um, Ryan said they are better than a dubia colony, and James disagrees. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of roaches. But dubious seem all right. I don't know. Um, Unlimited mutation asked if I keep garters, so I don't personally keep garters, but I do. I do really enjoy garters. I wish I. I wish I did. Um, like I said before, my partner has some, so I look forward to uh, having a little bit of access and checking more garters out uh, over time, and at least getting my my feet wet a little bit because I've. You know, I've kept the native ones when I was a kid. I used to keep garters and stuff like that. They'd be caught in the in the yard, and then we would release them after a month or so. But uh, other than that, there's really not much. There's not much I've done with the species that aren't, say, an eastern garter uh, that I caught when I was growing up. Acadia said there are videos on fruit flies. I will try to find a link and see and send it to you later. So how to not get them everywhere? Because that would be amazing. I would really, I need that video because uh, mine are everywhere. But anyways, guys, um, oh, Lori said, I'm terrified to try keeping garters. I don't think you should be terrified. They are definitely sneaky little colubrids. But if you had a nice sliding glass top and kept a good uh, colony of them, keep like, you know, three or four of them together, it's an amazing little display. And plus, they're so, they're so sight-driven. So I think it would be an interesting uh, animal to try to train. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much intellect is going on up there, but they're definitely like, there's definitely something different about them, uh, than your, than your normal colubra. They're, they're pretty fast and pretty sight driven, which is pretty interesting. Um, auto fab welding said a friend did fruitless or flightless and ended up starting flying after generations. Yeah. He's could have gotten infiltrated with wild. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know anything about the fruit flies, but uh, I guess I'm learning. A lot of this stuff, I think, for the most for the most part, I have I've been keeping reptiles and breeding them. I've been breeding longer than I've been keeping, so I haven't. I'm still kind of I'm trying to approach reptiles now as a keeper more so than a breeder so it's been a lot of learning all these different things and plus i need to learn them for the stork because i need to i need to know all this good stuff and luckily i have awesome people around to to teach me this stuff also just getting into a different mentality of keeping you know kind of like i said before doing as much as i can for the animals and stuff like that, because I want to, I want to be able to show people a good example of how to keep these animals. If I'm going to be selling animals, especially in a store setting, which are going to be mostly, you know, animals that I don't produce myself, which is, you know, a little bit of an uncomfortable thing for me, but I'm, 
I need to know that I can give them a good setup in order for them to be successful with the animals. Of course, I know how to set up a corn snake, a ball python, you know, all the animals that I've produced, I, I know how to set them up properly and even in a pet manner. But uh, some of these other things like geckos and dart frogs and stuff like that, it will be a fun learning experience. And I'm super excited because that's really what makes this hobby fun is that there's always different things to learn and there's always new things to get interested in and different rabbit holes to go down. Um, you know, we're going to have some inverts and stuff like that. I, I want, I want a velvet ant, you know, display cause I love seeing Russ's or the death fiending beetles. I love seeing Russ from Aquarimax, his setups with those animals and they're incredible. So I, I'm excited to just, to definitely get my hand on some things in which in which I typically wouldn't because I wouldn't typically keep things like this. But in a store, it may make sense. And uh, yeah, I just look forward to, to learning a whole bunch more about a whole bunch more of, uh, of different animals. And Tracy said, in my jumping spider group, which by the way, we've been thinking about getting jumping spiders too. <laughs> Someone grows fruit flies in a spice shaker. Oh, so they can literally just shake them out of the top. That's pretty brilliant, actually. I really like that. I'm going to steal that, and I'm going to do that. And Ryan Cox said, who are the guests you want to get on in the next few months? Actually, I don't know. I haven't really put a lot of effort into that. I've been trying to figure out where I want to go with the direction of the podcast. So I was thinking maybe you know switching up a little bit. So I haven't been thinking about guests. I've been thinking about what I can do to make this a little bit different and then bring guests into that. So... I don't know. I got to think about it a little bit more. It may be, and I've been liking uh, the last few ones have been with good friends of mine. And I've been, I've been liking that. It's kind of got me back to the roots of, of the podcast with, it used to be just talking to my friends and kind of BSing a bit. And then, you know, we got into a whole bunch of uh, more like people that I don't necessarily know and biologists and different things like that, which I love to do as well. So how can I somehow, I want the aspect of having fun with my friends to also be part of the podcast. And I also want that legitimate aspect and bringing on new people and new faces and stuff like that. So how can I integrate all those things? Uh, I don't know, but I will figure it out, I swear. And then that will probably come along and uh, manifest itself in all types of different ways. And I'm excited. But I thank you guys so much for joining me. This is enough of me talking. I'm going to lose my voice. I think I'm already losing my voice after talking straight for this long. But um, I thank you guys so much for, for coming, so much for hanging out with me. Thank you for all your messages and all your where the hell are you? Are you dead? And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And I, I'm excited to start this new chapter. And I'm excited for all of you guys to be there and experience it. So, uh yeah, I, I really appreciate it. I look forward to it. And thank you guys so much for being here. Please check out Focus Cubed Habitats, focuscubedhabitats.com. Go get a cage. Go check out their amazing rack systems. These don't even, this looks like something that you would have in a spaceship. Doesn't even look like something you'd have in your reptile collection. It looks so damn good. Check out their enclosures uh, on Instagram and then their website and all that good stuff. And go uh, go drop them a line and go support them because they are supporting their hobby with their support of this podcast as well as all the other podcasts that they that they support. So uh, thank you to Ashley and Stephen for their continued support. And thank you guys for your support. PortCityPet.com, PortCityPet, Instagram, Facebook, all of that good stuff. 
This is from the Ground Up Podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's been great getting back onto the podcast and talking to all you guys. I will catch you next week.